Welcome to Off Hours, a conversation between John Edwards and Chris Manning. How do you choose what projects to pursue and, and what projects to to say no to? So what, what were the, the factors that went into you deciding to pursue doing more film work this year? In the past, I've I've set goals towards particular events. So a lot of my past goals have been set to, you know, let's say a particular pen show or a particular art show. And I've had a lot of challenges with that in the past um, because a lot of what I'm doing is experimental from my point of view. I was often running into timelines or or, uh, deadlines that I just couldn't meet. Oftentimes it wasn't because I, you know, I I just wasn't working on a project. It was because I would run into failures of technique or failures of technology or whatever. And I would run into problems with that. One of my goals for 2018 and, and maybe further in the future, we'll have to see, is I'm trying to work on projects that do not have a definitive date as the end goal. I'm trying to avoid saying I have to be at this pen show or I have to be at this particular art show. Something like the video footage, you know, working on a on a YouTube channel, getting projects sort of bundled projects recorded and end up on the up on the site. Those are things that I can work on and if it takes an extra week, if it takes an extra month, it's not a problem because I won't be publishing it until it's a final thing. Same thing, I, I think, with some of the other projects that I that I plan on working on this year. You know, there's an end goal in mind, but until it's a completed thing, it's not going up for sale. It's not going to be out in the world until it's a finished thing. Uh, so that's that's one of my goals for 2018 is to try and reduce my stress a little bit by trying to avoid hard deadlines for for particular things. So how do you keep yourself motivated to make sure you actually complete a project? I've never been someone who really needs deadlines as a goal. One of the things we've been talking about is my paper this year for the Santa Fe Symposium. At this point, I'm I'm a little bit late in getting that submitted. And, And for me that deadline, that hard deadline is more stressful than it is an inducement to getting it finished. Hmm. My motivation for getting things done isn't really driven by a particular date. I find that having the project done properly, having it done to my satisfaction in terms of the, the fit and finish of the final thing, that tends to be more of a motivator to me. I'm one of those people who want to have the finished thing in my hands, and that's the motivator to me. The a particular deadline doesn't doesn't necessarily motivate me very well. Yeah, I have aspects of that in in some areas of my life, and then not in others. I, I value areas where I I have an intrinsic motivation to to finish something. I find projects like that far easier for me to drop into a state of flow when, when working on something that I'm, I'm intrinsically motivated to, to complete. But I find there are some things where I do respond better to uh, an extrinsic motivator. I think 
due dates of libraries are, are an undervalued feature uh, of libraries. Cause I will, I have books that I've purchased from Amazon or where have you, and uh, I'll crack it open. I'll read a few pages and then it sits right. and then I don't finish it. But I find anytime I check a book out from the library, uh, it might sit for uh, a couple of days at the beginning, but at some point uh, I am motivated to, to pick it up and finish reading it. And if, if it happens to be a book where, that I start and, and I don't particularly want to finish or I'm not finding value in it, it's, it's fine. I'll, I'll set it aside. Uh, but that that due date from the library will will push me to sit down for an, an hour or two the day before it's due and actually polish it off if I'm not quite done with it yet. Whereas if it's a book that I've purchased, it it might sit there for two, three, four, five years or more uh, without me actually completing reading it. Yeah, I can see the value in that. And that is something that I do as well. I, I have a, a bookshelf full of books that I have partly read in some cases, the the books are not ones that I am going to read from cover to cover. Anyways, they're they're reference books or they're uh, they're books where I'm looking for a particular part of the book. I, I you know I only I'm really only interested in a few chapters of something for for reference. Mm-hmm. So not all of what I have there is is really appropriate from that point of view. But mm-hmm. certainly, I I've, I agree with you. For some things like that. It has there's a, there's definitely a motivating factor in having a deadline to it, and certainly with some of my to do list items, I need to put, you know, I need to have a to do list. I need to have a a date on something. I need to have a timeline on something. Otherwise, I just don't get around to it. But I find that tends to be for smaller things, for you know, for things that really it's more of a reminder than an actual project. I find with larger projects themselves, I need a little bit of flexibility when it comes to when it comes to finishing things. Uh, I guess one of my problems is when I run into an issue with a particular build, I need to be able to stop and work on something else. I, I find that my brain does its best troubleshooting when it isn't thinking about a problem. So let's say I'm working on a on a casting project and I'm having some some casting issues. That's the kind of thing where if I just sit down and make a model, cast it, have a problem with it, make a new model, cast it, maybe have a, the same problem or a slightly different problem with it and just keep iterating on that. I can spin my wheels for four or five days, maybe even two weeks, you know, just trying to sit there and and continually retry the things that I'm doing. That can be time consuming and resource consuming as well. There there's a cost associated with doing a lot of a lot of what I'm doing. Sometimes it's materials cost, sometimes it's it's um resources like electricity or just time. Whereas if I have a problem, stop, work on something else, work on a completely different project or a completely different thing, that problem is still working in the back of my brain. I will have ideas two or three days later or maybe even a week later that I won't have if it's constantly something that I'm hammering away at. And this is where my my deadline problem comes in. 
if I'm sitting there trying desperately to work to a deadline, I've, I've been up, you know, I've done 20 hour days for a week leading up to a, a show. Uh, there was one art show that I did in Ottawa, maybe five or six years ago. And I didn't actually sleep before I got to the show. I, I was up from 5am Friday until 10 p.m. Saturday night. You know, the, the show was the show setup was at uh, 9 a.m. on Saturday morning, and I worked all through the night, Friday night, Saturday morning. Packed up the car, went to the show, set up, did the show on Saturday, crashed Saturday night, did it again on Sunday, and then uh, and then packed up and came home. Hmm. And that that's not healthy. I, I was able to get enough product to bring to the show, but that wasn't healthy. And, and I had huge problems when I was at the show. It was tough to concentrate. And mm-hmm. those are the things that I'm trying to avoid. And I, I find if I can leave the, leave the problem for a few days, I can often come back to it with better ideas on how to solve those problems and how to, how to resolve the issues than if I keep hammering away on it. And there are, there are measurable physiological reasons for that as well. I can't remember the, the precise brainwave states where those creative connections start to be made. Mm-hmm. Uh, but it's that's why people often have come up with breakthroughs uh, while having a shower or going for a walk and, and that sort of thing. Absolutely. Your, your mind is in a, a more relaxed uh, state and there's just a, a certain... Uh, a neurochemical cocktail and a set of, of brain waves that are really conducive to your brain just just figuring out a problem in in the background there and just suddenly spring it forward to your your conscious yeah i find uh going to sleep getting a good night's sleep that that has a huge impact on it uh, mm-hmm. as you said jumping in the shower going for a walk when i was in school i, I did a lot of swimming and fortunately, my my pool was across the parking lot from my school, swam at the university as well. And I would often write essays, compose essays while I was swimming. I'd be in the pool for two hours and I would compose the essay while I was in the pool. You can't do anything else. You can't talk to people. You, can, you know, It's the, the most antisocial sport you can do. And... So I would I would have two hours to myself, and all I was doing was looking at a black line and counting laps. So I had nothing, my brain had nothing to do. I would often find that was a good time to work on, you know, work on essays, work on problems, and uh, and do that. I, I, I don't do enough of that these days, and I probably should. But certainly uh, getting getting into a different mindset, it's, it's tough to do, and it's, but it's important. You need some sort of meditative thing that you can do that that isn't the problem you're working on i think and you know it's a little bit different for everybody but i, I think that's that's an important thing to find yeah there's there's value in zooming out from the the nitty gritty details that you, you get lost in when you're actually in the problem and then taking a, a grander perspective on things being able to make connections that, that you just simply couldn't when, when you're in the the mix the other thing I found this year has been very positive is finding colleagues I can speak to about some of the problems, uh, whether it's somebody like uh, like Phil Poyer, who I was down visiting in November. Uh, we spoke about helping me with some of my deep drawing problems. 
speaking with uh, guys like Jim Binion when I've had some casting problems or or Chris Bluth, he's he's also been excellent for for working through some of my problems. Sometimes it's it's not it's not even asking them specific questions of saying, "Oh, this is the problem that I'm having. How do I fix this?" That's often not what ends up happening or not, or not the most useful thing. But just talking about what's going on, what you're doing, what they're doing. It's amazing how often somebody who is working in a related field will say something and the light bulb will just go off and you'll be like, oh, that's what's going on here. And I think the one of the most important things you can do, no matter which field you're in, whether it's an artistic field, whether it's a technical field, uh, try and surround yourself with a community of peers who can assist you and and that assistance often just comes from talking uh, i'm fortunate uh, my good friend rich lowen who's uh, here in town he and i sit down regularly and we just talk about whatever it is that's on our mind and whatever is you know sort of going on in our shops and oftentimes rich will say something that will trigger you know, something in the back of my brain to say, oh, I need to try that or I need to do this thing when I'm when I'm on there. And so it's, uh, yeah, having having people like that in your life to to sort of talk through problems and, and just talk about what it is that you're doing. It's amazing how often people, other people can sort of trigger, you know, trigger ideas in your mind. And in some cases, they don't even need to be in your field. You know, they can just have, interesting questions about what it is that you're doing and asking you a question that forces you to think through what it is that you're doing and explain it to them in a way that they understand that can often lead you to a better understanding of what it is that you're doing and sometimes that's all you need to sort of get past a a, a block in what it is that you're doing mm-hmm. yeah just sort of reframing things and getting a different perspective on the situation now how about you with with your development uh with ios development you're sort of working to apple's schedule every year to some degree because wwdc every year in i guess june you're seeing a new release of a new beta release of their their operating system Mm. and then pretty much on you know on a schedule every September, you're going to see a new phone, which in some cases like this year means uh, some kind of a change, sometimes a bit easier, sometimes it's a bit more dramatic. So how, how do you find that? Do you find that motivating? Do you go through the new features and, and the new, uh, you know, the new options that are available on phones and, and say, I'm definitely going to, you know, try and get that out for day one? Or how do you, how do you approach that? Yeah, so there are, there are aspects of that. I find actually most of the time I, I wind up playing catch up. So I have a few branches, uh, experimental stuff that I'm working on that I, I want to pipe in to the the main projects. Uh, but then I, Apple will release something new, and then all of a sudden I need to support uh, a new screen size here, or a new dimension there, or various changes at a, a more um, subsystem level just making adaptations there so i found playing a a lot of more catch-up than i would like to have over the last let's say four years or so 
Um, that, that's taken a lot of time away from actually focusing on, on the things that I, I want to be focusing on, on developing. Uh, so I, I have quite a few things that, that I'm itching to to tie up some loose ends on and, and actually get out there. So I would say that's my hope for this year is to, to tie up a, a lot of small projects and loose ends and then just put a bow on things so that I can narrow in the scope of, of what I've been been up to. Now, have you found that they've released new feature sets in new libraries, new APIs in the new operating systems that have made it or will make it easier for you to release some of these features? Like, is that have they made it easier in some cases for you to do things? Oh, yeah, absolutely. Uh, particularly on, like, earlier on, it would be on the, the audio side of things. So there's a lot of audio processing work that I could offload on, onto core system functionality. And then this past year, the big thing was just all the, the machine learning and, and vision and that sort of stuff that I had been uh, rolling a lot of my own up in the year and a half or so leading up to WWDC 2017. Um, so it's been both a nice release of, of not having to invest as much effort in laying the groundwork and the foundation, but there's also been uh, a learning curve mm -hmm. in terms of picking up where they have now raised the bar to. So it's, yeah, a mixed bag, but it's absolutely, they, they do release things that, that make it a lot easier to, to build towards what your, your end goal actually is. So I, I do appreciate that. I really like when I'm able to just delete a big block of code out of my my own code base because I mean less code less bugs so I really appreciate that I was going to say that's sat very satisfying deleting a bunch of stuff out of a out of a code yeah and I get that same satisfaction from from simplifying a problem down too it's nice to to be able to do, to do that now how about when it comes to, to saying no to things I I don't know how much of your work is self directed versus it's sort of mandatory, but do you, when it comes to your own personal projects, are, are you working on purely things that are, that are sort of directed by you or are you being approached by people for, for some things and you have to decide whether it's something that you want to do or not? I am approached by people uh, and by and large, my, my answer is often no. Uh, when you, when you say yes to something, you are you know, by extension saying no to, to a bunch of other things because we all only have so much time the reality is we all have limited time limited money and we can't say yes to everything uh but this is an area where i would like to to grow and get and get better at being at knowing what to say no to because it's a very tricky balance uh to know what what things are worth pursuing and and what what aren't but I guess some of the things I think about uh, when I'm considering working on a, a particular project or pursuing a, a particular experiment uh, would be whether or not it's going to push me to, to grow or, or to learn something new. I try and look at the benefit to detriment ratio and, and try and make that as, as high as possible. Uh, not only for me personally, but also looking at it from the perspective of family and, and friends and, and others. If, if I work on Project X, will it benef have benefits beyond just 
just myself. Right. I guess another way to frame that would be, uh, what is this going to cost me? Not speaking strictly financially, but also in terms of, of time and opportunity and, and relationship costs. But some benefits can be hard to measure. I attended a talk uh, a few days ago by Kevin Toms, and he was a key player in bringing the, the Philips Hue lighting system to market. And in his talk, he expressed the the corporate obstacles that, that he faced in, in convincing Philips to open source the API for Hue. But he, he expressed how difficult it was to relay to executives the, the value in, in opening it up. Because to them, sure. this is Philips' proprietary information. Uh, and it's hard for them to see and for, for him to show the, the upside uh, of, of opening it up. He essentially just ended up showing them that people were reverse engineering it just based on the, the API that they had out there and, and figuring out the different ways that they could control their, their Hue light bulbs. So for anyone who doesn't know, the Hue lighting system are these smart light bulbs that you can program to be different colors or different intensities and or you can have them all networked and respond to essentially anything you, you can imagine. Uh, but it was effectively impossible for them to, to predict the upside of, of opening open sourcing it. Uh, but eventually he won out, and, and in retrospect, the, the free publicity that was engendered from all of the creative ways that, that people have built on the Hue platform, uh, as far as the marketing team was concerned and, and the executives, that move was was priceless. They, they, they couldn't begin to even quantify uh, well, sure, the you, impact to the bottom line. Sure, you you end up creating a great deal of publicity for yourself, and you also, more importantly, you create a community around your product, and that's something that that uh, it's priceless, right? It, it's difficult to build that that community, and if you can, then it's it becomes a very sticky product in people's minds, and it it's something that people want to buy. I, I I've got a bunch of few products around here, and I I enjoy using them. Uh, there's there's some limitations of them that um, that I'm not as happy with versus some other products, but they're they're very very easy product to use and and it's nice to be able to set triggers and things with them. So the that and that open source community that allowed you know that allows you to to access them in different ways uh, that's certainly worth one of the reasons why I looked at them and and avoided other products because I knew that there was a community out there that was using them that could develop the tools that I wanted to make because Philips themselves, they were only ever going to develop a limited product. They're, they don't have the resources that hundreds or thousands of developers working in their spare time would have. So yeah, it's nice having that uh, that community. Yeah, another thing that I find helpful is, is just categorizing things and writing stuff down just to get it out of my head because I find a problem can... or possibility can gnaw uh, away at, at brain cycles and, and just chew them up needlessly. But once I write it down, it's kind of like my brain's like, okay, it's, it's there. It's captured. We don't have to spend any more, more time thinking about that. And I'll just kind of go like, yes, this is something I want to pursue or, or no, this isn't something I want to pursue. Forget about it. Or let's just shelve this and, and it's something I can pick up again later. I agree with that. I have notebooks with full of ideas, some of them sketches, some of them one word 
descriptions of something. Uh, some of them are screen captures or images from places, photographs. So we've talked before about the fact I take photograph thousands of photographs when I travel. And mm. I find that getting those ideas out of my head and into something, whether it's a, an application on my phone, whether it's a notebook, whatever it happens to be, that that's so important for me. And it's also important to, I find, to go back and revisit those notebooks. I, I've been keeping notebooks. I guess I've got them going back probably 13 or 14 years at this point. We had, we had a house fire back in the early noughties and, and lost a lot of that stuff. But So I've got notebooks going back to, to about that time, so I guess about 14 years now. And I revisit those notebooks on a regular basis. Sometimes it's once a month, sometimes it's every six months that I'll go back and look at certain notebooks, but I do go back and look at them and, and sometimes they give me ideas for a current project that I'm working on. I, I need a, let's say a better, better proportions for a thing that I'm working on, maybe a picture frame or something like that. And I, and I go back and I look at other, other projects that I was thinking about and, or that I'd sketched up. And sometimes those projects that I'm looking at are entirely unrelated to what it is that I'm making now. But there's often little ideas in there that I can pick. Sometimes it's a little detail element that I want. Uh, sometimes it's that proportion that I'm looking for and, and I couldn't get it figured out right. So I, I find that having a record of what it is that you're thinking about is is critical. Uh, that's one of the reasons why I recommended a good pencil and, and notebook in uh, in our episode a few a few episodes ago, uh, keeping that record of of what it is that you're working on, struggles that you're having, ideas that you're having, part of it is to get it out of your head so that, as you say, it's not taking up brain cycles trying to remember it. But I think one of the the most valuable parts of doing that is being able to go back to that record days, weeks, years later, and reusing those ideas. I know certainly some of my early pen ideas. When I look at them now, they're incredibly immature in terms of, even though they're, they were well sketched and they were completely, you know, let's say a completely designed pen, uh, so many of the elements are so immature compared to what I design now. But the base idea is still there and I can now take that idea and I can turn it into something far more interesting. Uh, sometimes there was too much in a design and I now understand better how to distill it into something more interesting. But having that original design sketch is important to be able to come back to and, and pull the essence out of. Yeah, just as it's it's nice to delete code, uh, I find every now and then it, it's nice to go back and, and delete something from a, a note file or uh, just throw out uh, an old book or a piece of paper that, that I've had uh, sort of kicking around with some things written on it that, uh, looking back, uh, with, with hindsight, I, I find laughable <laughs> kind of question what, what I was thinking. Oh, there's certainly uh, some but... horrible ideas in some of my early notebooks. Don't get me wrong, uh, but I won't, uh, I won't delete any of those ideas. I don't, uh, throw out any of my old sketches as horrible as some of them are. I, I don't, uh, I don't do that. It's funny. I, I get people asking me how, what can they learn or what can they do to, to become a better artist or to get into making things. And uh, one of the things I tell people is to learn how to sketch. I can't sketch to save my life, and I, I really wish that I could draw better. Learn how to draw. Learn how to you know start sketching and start doodling and 
and do do a lot of that. A good friend of uh, of ours, Stephen Strang, he he has this incredible ability to sketch while he's in meetings, while he's talking to people. And I, I'm always uh, envious of of his sketching ability as he's uh, as he's working and as he's talking to people. And it's he's not sketching things that are related to the topic necessarily or the meeting, but that ability to get his ideas out visually is is always uh, something that's impressed me. And uh, if you can learn how to do that, it's it's certainly worthwhile. When it comes to what to say yes to, I think your comment earlier about improving yourself and development is is extremely important. So as I've, as I mentioned earlier, I'm trying to avoid anything with a hard deadline. And the notable exception to that has been the uh, paper that I agreed to write for this year's Santa Fe Symposium. And uh, it's been causing me a great deal of stress over the last two months because I, I knew that I was I was going to be a little bit late on it. And uh, I've been working, working, trying to trying to get through some problems and, and uh, get the writing finished. And and so I knew that it was going to be stressful and it wasn't stress that I really wanted in my life. But something like that, it's it's extremely important because it's forcing me to develop some skills and some ideas that I would otherwise ignore if I didn't have this. So this is one of the few times where I've said, okay, I need this. You know, in this case, it has a deadline. So I need this project to actually get me working on this particular project. Uh, so last year's uh, paper was about uh, how to make Niello, the uh, traditional methods of making Niello. And uh, for those who who haven't read my paper yet, you can go and find it at the uh, Santa Fe website. We'll link to it. Uh, but Niello is a silver alloy that has lead in it. And the lead, of course, is a huge safety hazard and health hazard for the people working with it. This year, I'm working on creating a lead-free version of Niello. Niello is a material that I use a lot in my designs, and the lead is obviously very toxic, and it's it's very dangerous, and it has other consequences in the shop. It, it contaminates things in the shop. And I've been putting off working on making a version of this that wasn't as toxic. And so this was one of those things where I said, okay, if I do this paper on a, on making a lead-free Niello, that's something that's going to force me to to move forward with this. And it's something that's going to, uh, you know, it's it's providing me with a, with a reason to do this. So sometimes, sometimes those kinds of projects are worthwhile and, uh, and can certainly be important. And that can be sort of a good kick in the ass to, to figure out how to do something that you weren't necessarily going to do otherwise. Don't shy away from from projects that that are good personal development, even if there's limited monetary value in it. Uh, as long as the stress is reasonable and and you're not taking on too much, uh, it's it's worthwhile. But also don't be uh, don't fool yourself into taking a project because you think it's going to teach you something. If it's just a minor addition to your skill set that you're going to to learn, uh, but it's going to increase your stress levels a lot. Then then say no to it. It's it's not worth it. You have to. It has to be something that's really worthwhile, increasing your skill set and and improving your your understanding of something to to take it on. Sometimes for me, it's an external factor. Something like this this uh, symposium is uh, is a good way of forcing me to do it. In other cases, I'm I you know we've talked about my. Uh, my working on uh, watches 
and that's something that I've had a I've had an interest in for a long time and so I've created a few projects that I'm working on and that's that's one of my other big goals for 2018 is to is to start seriously working on on my watch projects and get those um, at least something that I'm happy with by the end of the year a large part of the reason why I'm doing that is to develop those skills to develop that that knowledge and understanding because I know the only way that I'm going to do it is or I'm going to learn those things is to have a project that's uh, that's out there uh, and that's probably something else worthwhile talking about a the I find that learning skills I'm not sure about you John but I find that learning skills is very difficult in a vacuum if if you're just learning a skill academically I find it very challenging but having a project to work on is is important or at least I find that it's important to learning a skill it gives you uh if if you know what you're trying to do so for instance in my case I'm I'm working on uh, on recording some video I knew very little about video uh, going into this, I, I knew a lot about photography, uh, very, very little about audio. And if, you know, I, I, I'd played around with lynda.com videos on on Final Cut Pro editing and things like that, but I never really got all that far with them. And it, it wasn't until I had some actual video footage of a project that I made in the shop that I could then cut together and work on creating a story for. Uh, same thing with this podcast. Uh, you know, I'd done a little bit of audio editing here and there, but mostly it was, you know, it was sort of playing around with random audio stuff. Once I had some recordings for the show, it made it much easier for me to learn how to use Logic and how to edit things together properly and how to do some some uh, noise cleanup and things like that. And it wasn't until I had that project to work on where I had a, f- a final goal that I had and I knew what I wanted it to sound like that I, I really started to learn how to do things. So certainly uh, if you're if you're looking to learn a new skill, try to find a, a worthwhile project that you can work on that builds on that skill, something that'll push you a little bit. Don't, don't try and do just the easiest thing you can because that, that probably won't... Uh, probably won't get very much out of it but if you if you have an end goal uh, then it's uh, it's worthwhile there's a really good uh, quote from Ira Glass he's the producer of This American Life and he he's talking about the difference between your skill now versus your imagined thing that you want to make and how they don't match up yet you know you're not good enough at the beginning to be able to make the thing that you want to make in your mind's eye uh, but it's it's important that you have that thing in your mind's eye to start with. And as you keep working on it, you'll keep getting better and better. And eventually you will be able to get to that end goal. It's certainly important to have that. Try not to learn just in a vacuum because it's it's difficult to do. Yeah, actually pursuing a project very quickly reveals uh, all the areas where, where you were expressing a bit of, of hubris and other areas where you were just blindly ignorant of the the problems you you'd come up against and you can't get around the challenges by just saying oh well i don't i don't want to have that thing in here anymore well if you if you're you know if you're just working on an academic project you can easily cut out a bit of a bit of something and say well i don't i don't really want that but if you're working on uh you know i'm working on this watch case and and uh, i'm sitting there trying to figure out okay how do i mount that movement in the watch case well i can't just ignore that problem this isn't just an academic problem where i'm 
I'm playing around with the watch movement. I, I have to actually figure out how to get it into a case and have it stable in the case so that it's not going to rattle around and you know it's going to look good and everything. And those are problems that that you can easily talk yourself out of if you're if you're just sort of doing it for an academic kind of project. If it's a real world project like that, you you have to figure out how to how to get around that problem and how to solve it. Or that's the sort of thing that you're just not even aware is a problem at all if you're just daydreaming about about doing a certain thing. Oh, sure. The the number of unknown unknowns in a project like that is is incredible when you uh, mm. when you get started. I guess this goes back to the um, the whole uh, Dunning Kruger effect, where when you're when you're getting started on something, when you're a, a complete novice at something, you really don't understand just how little you know about the thing. And it isn't until you start getting into actually making it that you realize, oh, I've got to deal with, I've got to deal with this problem now. And how do I deal with making sure that the the crown is waterproof? And how do I make sure that I, I've got a, a secure way of holding the strap in place? And oh, now I need to come up with a buckle for this watch that matches the design and the feel of the the rest of the watch. And how do I make a, a dial that looks good? And, oh, I need to make hands now and, and design those hands. And it's amazing how quickly you start figuring out the things that you just didn't know at all until you started this project. Yeah, the more makers and watchmakers and, and developers that I speak to, the more I, I realize that the learning never stops. There, There's always something more. Once you, Once you hit the top of one mountain, you realize there's another one behind it, and then you scale that peak, and there's there's yet another one. Uh, so it's the learning never stops. So what are some of the filters that you look at at a potential project through to to make the call as to whether to pursue it or not? Uh, I guess right now I'm I have a few goals that I have in mind. Uh, obviously i'm I'm continuing to work on some pen designs that's that's an important thing for me and the next big goal for me professionally in in terms of my my design and my work is working on some watches and getting some watches designed i think that's long term that's a challenge that i want personally uh, both the technical challenge and the design challenges so for me watches are something I've always been fascinated with. And I, I think the, you know, I, I need to scratch that itch. I need to scratch that, that itch of, of having the technical understanding of watches. But more importantly, I think that watches present a design challenge that I don't get right now with pens. Pens are relatively uh, simple from a design point of view and also from a technical point of view. So uh, watches are that are are going to be one of my big goals and focuses over the next little while, and and I think partially as well, experimenting a bit with clocks, mostly because clocks are a bit simpler than watches. Obviously, the scale is larger, which makes them simpler to make. Uh, the you know you're not dealing with the when you're cutting gear teeth, for instance, you're not talking about tiny tiny little teeth. So you can you can experiment a little bit with with clocks and a in a way that you can't necessarily do quickly with watches. Uh, so there's there's a few ideas that I have, you know, to help me with my understanding of timekeeping and just the technical aspects of that. And then there's also a few ideas that I have for art pieces. 
some desk clocks and and things like that where I want to experiment with some of the classic techniques that I know, uh, particularly when it comes to some of the techniques that and and design ideas that Fabergé was doing. I want to try and translate some of their designs, which I think right now don't don't necessarily look good. I think they're you know they're just a bit too ornate. But try and translate those into something a little bit more modern, something that looks good. Uh, so being able to take something like a picture frame and do some engine turning work on it, do some enamel work on it, you know, maybe turn that into something that's a little bit more interesting, like a little desk clock. Combine some of my curiosity for clocks and watches and turn that and and then mix that with some of my jewelry skills. So a lot of it has to do with a particular topic like uh, like watches and saying, okay, this is where I want to go. I want to I want to explore that a bit and see where it takes me. Some of it is taking a particular technique and saying, okay, I want to use more engine turning in, in the work that I do. What can I do with this? Where can I use it to its best effect? And then in some cases it's saying, oh, I really like that particular piece. I like that, you know, maybe it's a historic piece. Maybe it's a, a modern piece that a, that another designer has made and say, oh, I really like that idea. How can I incorporate that into something that I want to make? There have been a few techniques that I've seen recently from artists that I admire, and I would never want to try and copy that work in the medium that they're doing, or even to try and copy it directly. But I think there are ways of taking those techniques, some of them that are quite unique to the to those individual artists, and turning them into something that works well with what I do. And that's always that's always an interesting challenge to me is how do I how do I find something that I like? How do I find a technique I like or a design I like and translate it into something that works with what it is that I'm doing? And drawing inspiration from it. For those of you who've never watched uh, Everything is a Remix, uh, Kirby Ferguson did this great little series of videos a few years ago called Everything is a Remix. Mm-hmm. And he was approaching it originally from... Uh, a lot of popular media. I think it started just with music, yeah. Yeah, that's right. And I think he does a great job of framing this idea of taking how an artist can take an idea from something somebody else and turn it into their own thing. Mm-hmm. Uh, he starts out with a particular segment of music. Can't even remember where it originally came from, and, and he shows how that particular beat is used in multiple genres of music over decades and um, and he also talks a little bit about movie making uh, people like uh, George Lucas and uh, Quentin Tarantino where they're pulling a lot of their ideas from other artists and how they make it their own for those you know for people who don't necessarily understand what's involved with you know how an artist can take something and make it their own and or take an, an idea from somebody else and translate it into their own thing he he has some great examples of how that's done in, in popular culture. It's fascinating to to listen to it mutate over the, over the decades, uh, right through to like a Miley Cyrus song where she wasn't even born when when the original song first debuted. Yeah, yeah. All right. Well, I wish you all the best for 2018, Chris. Thank you. Thank you. Same to you. We'll see what uh, maybe at the end of 2018 we'll uh, we'll sit there and revi- revisit this and. See how little we were able to get done this year. (laughs) (laughs) I think it was Bill Gates who said, uh, most people overestimate what they can do in a year, but vastly underestimate what they can get done in 10. 
Thanks for listening to Off Hours. You can find detailed show notes at offhours.show. If you'd like to keep up to date with the show, follow us on Twitter, at Off Hours. John can be found on Twitter at Under the Loop, and Chris can be found on Twitter and Instagram at Silver underscore Hand. Have any new tools over the break? Uh, what did I pick up? I did pick up some new tools. Um, I picked up uh, some th- a few new toys for doing some video recording. I picked up an external video recorder. Uh, I, d- I don't know how familiar you are with uh, recording video on cameras, especially digital SLRs, but a lot of them are recording into compressed formats like AVCHD and uh, occasionally mp4 or things like that and they're doing that because of course they're trying to save uh, space on the memory cards and they're also trying to cut down on the amount of bandwidth that they need when it comes to recording Uh, so you can use slower memory cards problem is there's a bunch of limitations with that Uh, there it's a compressed format obviously so you're dealing with compression issues so you can't just you can't just take an MP4 for instance and and just start cutting it and and re-edit it, and so you have to then transcode it into a format that's editable. Uh, and in my case, I'm using uh, Final Cut Pro, so I'm going into ProRes 422. There's a lot of problems with recording straight to video onto onto a digital SLR. Um, so there's a market for these external recorders, and these are used in professional. The professional world as well, not just not just digital SLR stuff or you know prosumer stuff. It's uh, it's a problem in the in the real world as well. And what they do is that you bypass the video out to the HDMI port on the camera, and it goes into this video recorder. And so it's it's just sending all of the raw pixel data off of the off of the sensor into the uh, into the HDMI port, comes off onto this video recorder. And it can handle doing ProRes 422 native recording. Uh, so it can handle much higher bit rates than the internal cards can. Uh, it's recording straight to an SSD, uh, things like that. So at the end of it, what I what I get is a, this ProRes file that I can drop into Final Cut Pro. I don't have to transcode it. I can just start editing it instantly and uh and start working on it right away i want to do some some video shooting and and get some videos up and one of the things that i was struggling with in my experiments was i would record a bunch of video and right now i'm just recording in 1080p but i would record a bunch of video and i would take 10 minutes of video and it would sit there for an hour transcoding it into prores and it's like uh i can't do this you know it just it takes forever and then, of course, you've got all the loss problems because it's a you know it's coming from a it was coming from a lossy format, so this is saving me a bunch of time in transcoding, and it's saving me a bunch of um, a bunch of quality as well. And then there's other advantages to this little recorder. It's uh, it's also a seven inch screen, so you can you get a bigger version of what you're of what you're seeing on camera. So it's easier to easier to do things like focus, easier for exposure adjustments, and and all that you know all that good stuff. So. Anyway, a bunch of advantages to that. So that was my big, uh, my big purchase for Christmas was getting myself one of these so I could start getting more serious about 
video recording. Not not to add another item to your list, but I had a chance to play with uh, one of DJI Mavic Pros. D- ay, ay, ay. DJI's Mavic Pros. Yeah, they don't make their their uh, any of their product names. They're not easy to to pronounce. Yeah. Anyway, the the Mavic Pro is. Uh, I was very impressed with it. I have the Osmo Mobile. Their gimbal technology is great. Uh, I haven't played with a Mavic Pro yet, but I know a bunch of people that have them, and everybody's happy with those things. I was blown away by its ability to do the the action tracking, so you can mm. almost set it and forget it, and just walk around and have it and follow you or run around, bike around, what have you. So I thought you, you would have some fun with, with that out around your place there. I know I would have some fun with it. I know I would crash it into my trees at some point. I would love to uh, love to play with one of those things, but it's uh, it's low down on my list of, of toys to get just because I, I don't need another. I don't need another thing going around. Eh, it's better for you to wait anyway, because they're, apparently they're going to be rolling out collision avoidance uh, in a full 360, hmm. as opposed to just from the front. Right, not too distant future. Yeah, they. I, I noticed that uh, well, CES is going on right now, and and they just announced the update to the uh, the Osmo Mobile, which I got maybe four or five months ago, and they've just released uh, or they've just announced the the second version of that, and they've improved a bunch of things like battery life and stuff like that. So uh, there, I'm sure that the the next couple generations of Mavic Pros are going to be nice. I figure that in a couple of years, once they've sort of banged out most of that technology, I'll. I'll pick something up. Then the next thing for me is going to be getting a uh, getting a new camera that can handle doing 4K footage. Because uh, right now my Nikon D810 can only handle doing 1080p. The, even though the stuff that I'm doing is destined for YouTube, you know, YouTube is sort of pushing towards 4K footage. And so I figure at this point, if I if I start in on 4K from the very beginning, then I don't have to worry about transitioning to it down the road. It's already all sort of mm-hmm. taken care of. Have you recorded any 4K using your, your phone in the Osmo? I have, yeah, a little bit. I haven't played around with it a whole lot. So the I did do some 4K shooting on my 7 when I was in Japan last year and did a little bit of uh, a little bit of recording with that. And I was actually kicking myself because that was the third trip I had been on where I, I wish that I had had the Osmo Mobile and didn't have it. And I'd, I'd considered getting one before I went over and I just, I didn't have the time to go and pick one up. And, and I was sort of kicking myself now that I've got it, I just haven't been out of the house much to, uh, to sort of play with it, but that's on my, yeah, it's on my list of things to experiment with more because it's, uh, even though it's a bit bulky, like it's not the kind of thing you can just sort of throw in your back pocket and, and go, it's still relatively small. And, uh, and of course the phone is with you all the time anyway. So I'm going to play around with it a little bit. I know when I go down on the, uh, on my trip to Albuquerque for the symposium, I'll definitely be bringing it with me then and uh, hopefully play around with it a little bit there and try and get some video footage. And one thing that I found really surprising about the Mavic Pro as well is just how well it stood up to the brutal cold we had here over the, the Christmas break. Oh, really? It was just bitterly cold out and the, mm-hmm. like, the footage that was coming off it was still just buttery smooth. Hmm. Despite look, you look at, up at the drone in the sky, and it's just jittering and shaking there in the wind. <laughs> the, the image is just as close to rock solid as you can get. Yeah, there. That's the thing that's that really makes them stand apart from everybody else is just the the quality of their their gimbals and their their image stability stuff is just amazing. So yeah, it's uh, it impresses me with that, and even just a little bit that I've sort of played around with the uh, the Osmo Mobile. 
it's uh, between the gimbal and the image stabilization in the camera it's uh you get some really nice footage it uh yeah it's it's definitely impressive have you ever played with instagram's hyperlapse app no i haven't it's it's quite impressive as well if you throw it it's meant for doing hyperlapses so time lapses very quickly and very smoothly but you can set it to 1x mode and it's essentially like having a, a steady cam on your phone now it down samples to i think the highest it'll output is 720p in order to pull this off but it's it's very impressive for a, a very low budget well, effectively free if you've already got the phone it's a free app uh, a free steady cam my only complaint about uh instagram stuff is uh just how heavily compressed everything is yeah this isn't going to be 4k youtube worthy <laughs> footage that you're recording but no. uh it's it's really nice uh, in terms of just how smooth it is i used it uh for a, a dvd project so it's actually an old school old school laser disc was the final output oh right uh, right but, yeah i think you told me about uh, that it worked out worked out well so 720p to the job yeah i'm gonna see how the how the footage from the phone looks when i match it up with the footage from my camera uh, obviously my my nikon d810 i've got the advantage of having uh, a much larger sensor you know it's a full full frame 35 millimeter sensor plus i've got the advantage of dramatically better lenses uh you know i've got pro lenses for my for my camera so between the two i i can definitely get a, a much nicer look out of my d810 than i can out of my phone but I think the phone footage is pretty good at this point, and it it does hold up pretty well to uh, to a lot of the the digital SLR footage. So I'm thinking about adding a little bit of phone footage into some of the stuff that I'm doing. In particular, I'm thinking about using the Osmo Mobile for doing some tracking shots because you can do things like select uh, an object on screen and move side to side and have the camera follow and and keep that object in frame. Uh, so stuff like that, I, I can do some interesting tracking shots with the uh, with the Osmo that I just can't do easily with my digital SLR. Anyway, I'm going to play around with that a little bit and see uh, see what I can get. Yeah, I think the the real trick there is just getting your your white balance matched and just color grading the footage so that it, it looks similar in post. Yeah, the color grading is the biggest problem, and and that I've got. Uh, one of the other little things that I picked up was um, the ColorWrite Color Passport Checker. It's a calibrated color chart that you can put on screen. And then inside of Final Cut Pro, there's a, a little plugin that you can use to automatically color balance against that color chart. Um, and then from there, you can, you know, you can color grade it however you want. But at least you've started with something that's, that's uh, you know, balanced. That that makes life a lot easier. It, it saves a huge amount of time and, and guesswork just trying to... Uh, you know, trying to get that initial white balance and, and color grading done.